Hello, hello, and welcome to Non-Technical, where I, your host, Alexis Gay, interview influential folks from the tech and business world and beyond about everything except their resumes. Today, we have Scott Felsky, the Chief Product Officer at Adobe, though he's done a lot of other super impressive, really interesting things prior to that, which quite honestly, I'm not going to ask him that much about. Scott, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to have you. I'm like, I'm happy to be here. Great. (laughs) It's mutual. This episode is brought to you by WorkLife, the first venture capital firm designed for a new era where work is more creative and anyone can start something, where life is more flexible and not tied to an office, where everyone is a triple threat. Discover the latest tools to design, animate, and ship your own video game, or get paid for playing video games. Really, WorkLife has backed companies for you to play directly with fans, coach future gamers, and drop your own custom merch store. Sign up for the WorkLife newsletter for interviews with creators and updates on new tools for your work life at worklife.vc. For the purposes of our listeners, and so that I don't have to uh, dig too much into it throughout our interview, I'm going to give a quick overview of some of your professional background. So Scott Belsky is an entrepreneur, author, investor, all-around product obsessive, and now serves as Adobe's chief product officer. Scott's passion is to make the creative world more productive, connected, and adaptive to new technologies. He founded Behance, the leading online platform for the creative industry to showcase and discover creative work, and served as CEO until Adobe acquired Behance in 2012. He is an early advisor and investor in Pinterest, Uber, Carta, Flexport, Sweetgreen, and Airtable, as well as several others in the early stages. Scott is also the author of two national best-selling books, Making Ideas Happen and The Messy Middle, and he founded 99U, a publication and annual conference devoted to productivity in the creative world. Scott, hell yeah! I thought right? we weren't going to do resumes. I thought that was the whole <laughs> point. I'm confused. I like to get it out there in the beginning so that people have a sense for what you've been uh, up to, and then we can just totally put it aside. Got it. You know what I'm saying? Strategy. Understood. How does it feel having your bio read to your face? Well, you know, the funny thing (laughs) is that it's, you know, it makes it seem like it was a smooth sailing, which of course we all know it isn't. It's always so funny to me. You can package things up so nicely. Thanks. It sounds like you had it all mapped out. Yeah. And then it's like (laughs) just a, it's an infectious thing because then we all, you know, hear these stories and then I guess we get inspired that we can, you know, do whatever we want to do for ourselves. And then we realize how hard it is. And we're like, well, what's wrong with me? Because it mm-hmm. always sounds easy when other people do it. And that's where it all breaks down. Totally. Except that today, we're going to talk about you. I am stoked about this. Well, that's okay, uncomfortable. Scott. <laughs> Are you uncomfortable? Get ready. No, I'm just kidding. Oh my God. Imagine if I was like that. I'm not like that. It's going to be fun. <laughs> Is this like a gotcha podcast? Can you imagine how, what a shock that would be for me to sweetly ask you to be on this podcast? And then it's like, surprise. Oh, gratefully, I got someone sent me a gift of some watermelon beverage with CBD in it. So maybe okay. it's appropriate that I am uh, in- <laughs> out. it at the beginning of this podcast. I think that's great. Personally, I'm a big fan. So my first question for you, Scott, is work is done for the day and you close your computer. Then what happens? My valiant attempt at a cognitive switch. Like it's just mm-hmm. so strange, especially these days, right? In a normal world, I guess, where you were going somewhere for work, every time you were done, you would have this this gap where your cognitive like reset would happen and you would just start to transition from the daily grind and whatever was on your mind Mm. to like what's next. And then now there's no gaps at all. I mean, we switch from like one thing to another and it's just like talking to a friend to suddenly being in like an all hands meeting with thousands of people to then jumping and like having answering a question for your accountant to this, to this. And it's like, 
you know, no seconds in between. I'm always just trying to figure out like, what's the best cognitive reset? Yeah. And I I haven't figured it out yet. We don't know. I do like breathe, you know, I'm like, all right. And I do like turn off (laughs) this huge screen that in the light that's always shining in my eyes. And, um, and then it's, I feel like I'm like kind of unplugging from the matrix, I guess, you know, it's like, and then you're just like, oh, wow, I'm in this other world now. So is that really, is that an answer? I don't know. Yeah. I totally relate to the breathing part in that I find myself involuntarily going, like a lot these days. I don't know what's going on, but every once in a while, I just start sighing uncontrollably. (laughs) Well, we're used to being forced to having those sighs, like through circumstance. So now that they're no longer forced upon us, because we can just be basically in a digital experience all day, you kind of have to force them upon yourself. Totally. So you turn off your big monitor. Do you leave the room? Do you work out? Do you I leave cook? the room. Okay. I usually, I like to run, but I run in the mornings and then I have little kids also. So like there's that mm-hmm. whole part of the equation afterwards. I like jump into like, you know, being tackled and managing some other kind of stuff. How old are your kids? They are eight, six, and two. That is, that's a lot of kids. First of, of all, kids. three, more than one per hand. Being tackled is a common, is a common uh, experience. <laughs> Okay. So you have to, you've got some kids running around the place and you said you run in the morning. Have you always been a runner? Not always, but I was in high school and then I came back to it a couple of years ago. I actually don't really like running. Really? I don't like the first mile or two of running. Okay. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. I always enjoy like the couple miles after that. And then it's not much, much more for me beyond that. Who are we sure. <laughs> but, but afterwards I always feel great about myself. I feel like so good about myself the whole day. I feel like I've got an extra boost of energy. And so I make myself do it. Totally. Do you run? No, no, I don't. I don't run. You could, you could maybe because, you know, I -hmm. didn't run for a long time. And suddenly I was like, maybe I should do this. I think that that's so admirable. I actually have recently forced my mom into working out with me three times a week because I'm living at her house. So I force us to do like exercise in front of the TV three times a week. Like Jane's like Jane Fonda type thing. Oh or? my God. I wish we were doing Jane Fonda. I wish I was about to tell you that we wore knee high socks and headbands and stuff, but no, we do the, the Kayla it signs workout app. It's called sweat and it's like circuit training and it's awesome and so efficient, which is what I need in my workout. That counts. as like in the same realm of run, running. Oh yeah. I just, I hate it. I hate running. A so lot. you and I have that in common, I guess. Yes. Um, at least in the beginning of my runs. I hate it. Yeah. But you started in high school. Was it mandatory or you just thought like, no, I just was a pretty bad athlete at anything else. I had to okay. do a sport. So I was like, well, I can run, you know, who can't run? Yeah. Me, me. It's the answer is me because I also did. I did cross country in high school. That was for what, a year. Yeah, that's what I did. Right. Okay. That's well, running. Yes. But the reason that I did it was because my senior year of high school, I thought I'll just, I want to do whatever the hardest option is. I don't know why. I just thought I would like to do the thing that I've always been most afraid of, have always been worst at, and that was running. And so I did cross country for a year to sort of conquer it because it had always been this big block for me. And then after that, I was just generally able to do a lot more because I finally got my body in like a little bit of running shape, but I am not a natural born athlete. Neither am I. In fact, I took a 23 and me test once. Really? And they actually tell you your likelihood of being an athlete. No way. Yeah. And I, I got like the worst rating or whatever. I had I had genes that were, are typically found in people that are not particularly athletic is really okay. what they told me. <laughs> Did they tell you what you should be? If they're like, you're not an athlete, but 
You're no, right in the kitchen. I, I, yeah, there weren't any other genes for anything else that I was interested in. I mean, it was like, do you taste cilantro and, uh, you know, and are you likely to be an athlete? And it was like, no. Wow. It tells you the cilantro thing? It does. What did yours say? I think it said that I, I, I'm likely to feel like it tastes like soap. Do you? I do. Interesting. Well, interesting to no one, but I find this interesting. I hate cilantro. I hate it, but it does not taste like soap to me. It just tastes terrible. Just awful. Well, so most people feel like soap tastes bad. But I know what soap tastes like. I've tasted soap, you know? I don't know how I would describe cilantro other than just so bad. It is unnecessary. Well, it just seems like an unnecessarily strong kind of pungent thing to throw into any other thing with any other flavor. I couldn't agree more. And it dominates every dish that it's in. Exactly. Hmm. I, I know some people who are like that from like a social setting perspective, you know, dinner party, you throw them in the mix yes. and it's like, <laughs> that's good or bad. I'd say, depending on the context, <laughs> it's like, oh no, no, don't, don't invite him. He's cilantro. Cilantro. Like, <laughs> you said dinner parties. Do you enjoy dinner parties? Do you throw them? Do you attend them? I mean, in the before times. Yeah. In before times, you know, I, I love the idea of getting a group of people together with great conversation. I mean, to me, that's like one of the greatest things to do. And I'm not, I don't know, do anything else. Isn't it great to just have someone who has like deep experience in something, just kind of go deep a little bit for five minutes and have a conversation. I mean, I just think that's the most awesome thing. I don't like big dinner parties. I don't like, you know, I actually prefer dinner parties where it can be a single conversation as opposed to you're stuck between like one or two people randomly. And it's like, that's it. So it's like six people maybe. Yeah. So like maybe six to eight people respect the kind of one conversation rule, Mm -hmm. then it's amazing. But then if you are like stuck in one of those really, really long tables, you know, you run out of things to talk about by like the end of the appetizer and then you're like, oh, Mm -hmm. what am I going to do? It's hard to like break away from the person that you are basically assigned to talk to at the table to then enter the group conversation. Like you all have to buy into it at once. There's a lot of mechanics at play once you pass eight people. And there's also just an awkwardness when you both realize that you're kind of out of things to talk about and you look around and everyone else is talking to like someone else still. And so you kind of have that both mutual moment of like, I mean, myself, (laughs) you know? (laughs) I'll be honest with you. It'd have to be pretty grim for me to fully run out of things to talk about with someone. Like things would have to be dire. You know, that's actually, it's a great point. It's a great point because I challenge myself to recognize that there is something interesting about everyone. I mean, if you ask the right question, you can learn and have a great conversation, I believe, with anyone. So it's my shortcoming that I sometimes am like, oh, I don't want to do the work. Do you have a question that you tend to ask people when you first meet them to get to know them better? I don't think I have a particular question, but... You know, I do like to get geeky about something that someone has done before, you know, whether it was hiking yes. in Himalayas or job out of college, working in a, you know, weird function of some company that didn't know existed. And I mean, you can just go deep, be like, oh, what, what kind of tools do you use for that? Like, how does that even totally. work? That's, that's typically the tactic. So it's almost like using those entry points as an opportunity to learn something, not just about the person, but about what they're passionate about interested in. I mean, it's the, it goes back to kind of the, the value of and role of curiosity and all that we mm. do. It, you could even argue that your career and your life in some ways starts to plateau once you stop being curious. Why totally. do people stop being curious? Because they come become so self-infatuated maybe, mm. or they feel like they do know all there is to know in, mm-hmm. some, in some way, shape or form. And maybe that's kind of like the beginning of the end for people. So yeah. h- how do you stay, you know, how do you light the fire on the curiosity side? Yeah. 
I don't want to ever reach a point where I believe I have nothing left to learn. I agree. Because, and then at that point, well, great. What do you do? Just (laughs) sit down and do the thing you've been doing the whole time. I mean, Mm -hmm. you just watch Netflix. I guess. And you know what? One could. And I have. I, I certainly love Netflix. have. It's not a, it's not a gosh for Netflix. I'm just saying, you know. I do. Absolutely. What are you watching right now? What am I watching? I'm watching the, uh, the universe, like that series where it's just a bunch of Ooh. deep dives in different parts of how everything works. I love that stuff. I mean, I can just not get enough of this massive grounding sense of things you learn about how we're insignificant pieces of dust. I love Mm. that stuff. Have you ever been somewhere physically? Have you ever visited a physical place where you really felt that? Hmm. That's a good question. I can tell you mine if that helps. Yeah. What is yours? There are two. One was when I visited the Grand Canyon and the other was when I visited Yosemite. Hmm. And there was something about knowing how long these massive rock formations had been around. Yeah. But also how they've changed with time. Mm -hmm. That was so unbelievably grounding to me as just one piece of a much, 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 much larger puzzle. That's a great answer. There's a name for the effect people apparently feel when they go to space and they look down Mm -hmm. on the earth. I forget the name of it, but there's like some psychological where you kind of have that moment of, wow, like what is life and, and why are we at war with each other and whatever else. I mean, I think one interesting experience I had (laughs) <laughs> is uh, in high school, I was an intern in the Biosphere 2 Center in Oracle, Arizona, that big like, yeah. kind of biodome thing. Mm-hmm. And the whole experiment there was really about replicating the various biomes of Earth, natural Earth, and like having okay. coexistent habitat where you know the carbon dioxide gets eaten by the plants and creates oxygen and everything else. And of course, it was a, it was a ma- massive failure uh, okay. in the sense that... <laughs> The whole thing kind of went out of whack, you know, from immediately, like the ants from the rainforest took over the uh, savannah. Oh, no. Savannah things, you know, everything kind of like, it was just a very like humbling, I think, realization for the scientists who realized like, wow, like this whole earth thing Hmm. is well beyond what we thought it was. Wow. Certain things in nature I find fascinating. For example, when you can find the Fibonacci sequence in nature, that blows my mind. I'm like, oh, cool. We're in a simulation. Duh. Yes. Immediately, that's my first thought. <laughs> right. I mean, I'm like, wow, nice job coding this, whoever, you know? <laughs> 2020 also seemed a little too, like, on the nose for natural. <laughs> there are things that have happened in this year that I'm like, I could never write something as good as that. Or I could never be as, you know, mailing it in in the writer's room to, like, yeah. come up with that plot. <laughs> Oh my God. That's such a good point. You could just picture them all around the table being like, fuck it. I, I don't know. Just yeah, fine. Just do it. Whatever. Yeah, exactly. Whatever. Right. That I have an idea. So just funny. pandemic, you know, yeah, like, just, just blow, blow it up. up. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. You're watching the universe. Do they do different deep dives on topics of the universe or is it more about like the whole galactic deal? No, it's each one is like the solar system or oh, black holes okay. or this or that. And it's just kind of but each one in its own way makes you realize how ridiculously, you know, beyond our comprehension everything is. And it's just kind of fun. I think I love that stuff. Totally. Do you watch it with your kids? Are they into that? No, not yet. Do you think they would find it scary? <laughs> I don't know, actually. They'd probably find it a little boring. Okay. I, you know, after like 10 minutes. But I, I look forward to the time when uh, they will hopefully be really into that. 
Totally. I sometimes wish that I had gotten into more sciencey stuff earlier on because I don't think I really was that interested by it. I was always very interested by creative stuff, you know, music and acting and reading and stuff like that. But science, it really took a while for me to be like, oh, holy shit. Like science is kind of all of it. I also was never great at science from a, you know, I hated chemistry in college Mm. and I love when your brain is trying to comprehend something that it's actually like not made to comprehend and you're just, it almost feels like you're expanding it a little bit. I don't know. Mm, Absolutely. In another world, maybe I could have been an astrophysicist or, okay, I don't know, astronomer, maybe. Sure. That was, had the ability to think that way. Yeah. (laughs) Did you like those subjects in school? I mean, I took some, you know, basic level astronomy type things. So I went to Cornell where Carl Sagan was, uh, he he passed away before I was there, but Mm -hmm. he had set up sort of the astronomy department and he had a class that continued on well beyond his passing that I took. That was really cool. It was just like, yeah, you know, introduction to how all those things work. Let me ask you this. Is it, is it bad that I, I don't know who that is? Oh, Carl Sagan. Not so bad. Okay. Scale of one to 10. How embarrassing should that be for me? Not at all. Not at all. (laughs) Have you ever seen the movie Contact? No. Okay. You should. It's one of my favorite movies. And it's also very much along these lines of like, it's about a woman, Jodie Foster, who discovers kind of alien life through being obsessed with the stars and listening to the sounds and whatever. Um, I won't give much more away than that. Okay. Yeah. No, it sounds like a good one. Is it like Arrival? Because I loved Arrival. Yeah, it's, I mean, similar genre, but it's written by Carl Sagan. And so there's a lot of like science in it, like weaved into the story that is, you know, factual. Like if aliens did contact us, what would it probably be like? And what would we probably do? And what would probably happen is like really the the movie. Okay, that sounds awesome. Yeah, Arrival is is a modern kind of take to some degree on some of it. Oh, nice. Okay, great. Ooh, I love getting a movie wreck. That's awesome. Scott, have you ever been known as the something person? For example, I was definitely like the drama girl in mm-hmm. high school. I know some people who consider me the, like a creative person or they'll say, oh, Scott's creative. Mm-hmm. And I know some other people who will say uh, he's obsessively organized. Mm-hmm. And what's strange is that they're kind of contrarian terms. You know, creative yes. people typically um, pride themselves on their disorganization, maybe. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, there's some conflict there, <laughs> but I've heard both. And in high school, I was in like so many different high schools hmm. in my four years that I never, I don't think I ever got like pigeonholed in any way, yeah. one, one place. I actually relate to both of the things you just said, because I've always felt like my brain is just split right down the middle hmm. between business and creativity. Hmm. So there are people in my life who would probably refer to me as the hyper-organized, always-wears-a-blazer business type. And then there are other people who know me from comedy who would be like, oh yeah, Alexis does comedy. And they're two, quote, polar opposite ideas. But to me, they've always been connected because they're both me. And your comedy, I know this is, you're supposed to be interviewing me, but it's really good. So... (laughs) Thank you. You know, and the magic, I think sometimes also the comedy is when it like resonates with you. Like you're like, oh my God, that's so true. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of that, that, uh, that you've come up with. Yay. Oh my gosh. It, thank you. That means it. a lot from someone who I think you spend time on both coasts. Is that right? I have. And, um, I mean, my big takeaway is yes. that San Francisco is like, there's a lot of like passive aggressiveness okay. in San Francisco. Like yeah. if your neighbor once 
and a police officer knocked on my door and said, the neighbor would like you to not park like on the driveway, on the sidewalk at all. Like just pull up a little bit further in the driveway. I was like, what? My neighbor, like, why can't they just, you know, it's so like kind of pass aggressive to tell the police totally. and then the police come, whatever. Whereas in New York, it would just be aggressive. You would just like yeah. pound on your neighbor and be like, dude, like <laughs> park on the fucking driveway, you know? <laughs> so I just, that, that to me, like was San Francisco versus New York in a nutshell. And it was the way people talked in teams. I mean, mm-hmm. I just, I, I subscribe, I think a little bit more to the New York kind of like real time, say how yes. you feel, yes. talk to your neighbor, don't go behind and write an anonymous note showing. I couldn't agree more. That was the most shocking thing for me when I moved from New York to San Francisco was how people talked in a professional context, because I think you and I might be on the same page there. I was just so used to New York. When someone wants something from you, they say, I would like this thing. And you go, okay. Yeah. And then you both go out for a nice coffee and get a bagel on the way back. It's just the end of the, you know, the end of the interaction. (laughs) Things take a little bit longer here or longer in San Francisco. They do. And I just love, I love explicitness and it drives me absolutely crazy when I feel like there's something I can't tell that's going on around me because people aren't being explicit about it. I mean, to me, that's probably like the ultimate pet peeve in a team. Hmm. Yeah. That there's something going on, but that no one's naming it. Yeah. Elephants, like elephants in the room. I even have a sticker that I made once. That is like <gasps> no elephants. Oh my God. No joke. That has many meanings, in fact. <laughs> yes. I mean, I don't have anything <laughs> against elephants. So let me just be clear. It doesn't mean that. But it's like no elephants in the room, you know? I, yes. I would, I would put them up in my conference rooms. I love that. Uh, someone I worked with had the phrase, let's just put the moose on the table. <laughs> I'd never heard that one before. I loved that. Put the moose on the table. All right. Are you the type of person that would say, hey, let's address the elephant in the room? Yes. I would say, I would say, I want to know what the elephants in the room are. In fact, please Mm. tell me before the meeting what you think the elephants will be so I can suss them out. Do you think that you're different with friends or are you still into that more like direct communication style? I mean, directness yields great content, right? So, so I, I think I try to do that across my life. Me too. Well, I try. I don't know if I'm succeeding. I I like to think that I am. We're all just trying. So it's okay. We're all trying, Scott. You know, what a beautiful takeaway, honestly. (laughs) What is the tiniest hill that you're willing to die on? Like the most inconsequential thing that you really stand by? I I can answer that question in life or in work. I would say life only because of the sort of deal of my podcast. (laughs) Right. The tiniest hill I would die on. And die is such an extreme word, right? Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. I have to think about that. Well, actually, I'm a vegetarian. Okay. And I just don't have any desire for meat. And I have a lot of people in my life who always try to get me to change my ways. (gasps) Really? And so maybe that's like a hill I would die on is, no, I'm not changing that. And to you, is it you're adamant that you will remain a vegetarian or do you think that other people should be vegetarian as well? Oh, no, I don't, I don't care what other people do. And I actually have no problem eating with somebody who is not a vegetarian mm-hmm. or whatever. I just have no desire to like change that part of my lifestyle. Totally. When did you become a vegetarian? When I was, believe it or not, around 10 years old. What? That is young. Tell me. Tell me how that happened. Well, I got really sick from meat. <gasps> I was sick for a while. Like no one believed me. It was um, a bad case of salmonella. 
Oh my God. And, uh, yeah. And so I was sick for like a month and a half and oh my God, losing weight and like always complaining. And I think, I don't know, like, I don't know why I wasn't diagnosed sooner actually. But then when I was, I learned it was from meat and I was just like, you know what? I don't even like this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I got into the benefits of not eating it and, you know, lifestyle and whatever else, but it was not initially out of the cruelty of animals part. It was more so just like losing my taste for it. I do believe it's a more sustainable way that we all live. And, you know, I have a lot of reasonings, reasoning for why I think it's a great thing, but I don't push other people. Totally. What do you think about replacement style meats? Tofu, Satan, uh, Satan, Satan? It's not like if it's Satan, it's probably like it sounds really scary. <laughs> Am I saying it wrong? I might be saying it wrong. Satan. Um, how do you yeah. feel about Satan? How do you feel about <laughs> that's actually the question, Scott? Sharp pivot. How do you feel about <laughs> Satan? What do you think about all that? I'll tell you. I I don't like things that try to be other things. In the case of food, and probably mm. not other areas. Maybe, but also, also maybe but... this is a running theme. You want your meat to be explicit. I guess so. Don't I just want... want to know what things are trying to be. I don't like the Impossible Burger and mm. stuff like that because it tastes like meat, and I don't like meat. Uh-huh. I do like tofu and some other yeah. things like that, but I don't consider those things to be trying to be meat. Totally. I, we're on the same page there. For example, well, you're not vegan. You're vegetarian, right? right. You eat dairy. So I tried a vegan cheese mm-hmm. and it was fine, but I think I would have liked it more if it had been pitched to me as like, here's a different type of dip or here's an interesting spread. But the fact that it was, this is cheese. I was like, it's super not, you know, they say comparison is the thief of joy, is, which oh, is one good. of my favorite sayings I like on the that. planet. Isn't that nice? Comparison is a thief of joy. It's mm. so true. It's so true. I, I think about that often, but my joy was stolen from me when they called that fake cheese cheese. Just call it a spread. It's along the lines of like the ignorance is bliss thing when it comes to eating, I guess, to some degree as well. I don't eat fish really either, but when I go to Japan, mm-hmm. I don't eat fish there, but I don't also ask so many questions because I just want to enjoy it. Aha. Uh-huh. Yep. There you go. That's beautiful. So that's yeah, the ignorance I, is bliss part. That is ignorance is bliss, but that sounds like it can be very delicious, very delicious outcome. It works. <laughs> Okay. So is there anything that your family did when you were growing up that at the time you thought was completely normal? And then later you realized that was extremely strange. Letting me be a vegetarian, you know, many years later in life, I was like, why didn't they like make me, I don't know, see a therapist or I don't know, something before they just decided to let a 10 year old change his entire lifestyle based on sickness. That's pretty cool though. It sounds like they were supportive at least. Like they must've had to cook for you and stuff. I just don't remember any discourse about it. I'm just like, it just happened. You know, I think also just the amount of time that I spent alone as a kid, it was sort of the nucleus of my creativity. You know, I had a little area in our basement yeah. where I grew up and it was just like my creativity area. And I would just mm. go down and disappear for hours and hours and hours. And I remember like kind of just going to bed when I was just too tired now, as a parent, I'm like, wow, what was going on there? Uh, how was I allowed to uh, to do that? But, you know, no regrets on that. Totally. Are you an only child? No, I'm not. I'm the oldest of three. Oh, okay. And you still spent a lot of time alone. Yeah. Well, they were younger. Okay. Yeah. I'm an only child. So I actually share that experience of spending a lot of time by myself, but mine was more because there just wasn't an alternative. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a similar situation to me just for other circumstances, but same boat. It sounds like you had the space to be creative when you spent time yeah. alone. Well, I had, I mean, I had parents, my parents both worked. And mm-hmm. so also I think that they, I just, 
you know, had to, you know, come up with things to do, whatever they did to that foster that sense of like being alone is fun and, you know, creative and build your own world was really helpful because I think that's, yeah, that's what we end up wanting people to do when they're adults is feel some authorship in their lives, like feel like they can actually create their own world. And, you know, after going through the education system that Mm -hmm. started with the industrial revolution and having indoctrinated into us this like sense that we have to like follow these guidelines and be a certain thing, you kind of don't feel entitled to make your own world anymore when you're an adult. Yeah. Do you find yourself replicating some of that with your own kids? I'm trying to. I, I think they're not at the age yet where they want to, like they can come up with as much to do on their own. But mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out how to like spark that in them. I mean, my eight-year-old, uh, my daughter, my oldest, she's definitely starting to you know, get there where you know, I'll just walk in and she's like coloring and making ah. stickers. And, you know, as a parent, sometimes you're also like, oh, I want to get involved. I want to, mm-hmm. you know, get closer to her by working with her on this. But then I kind of stop myself and I'm like, actually, like, don't disturb. Wow. That must take a lot of willpower. Yeah. Because you want to you have fun with your kids. Oh my gosh. I think if I was a parent, that would be impossible for me. I'd be like, you're coloring? Great. I'll get my pens. Exactly. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Wow. Kudos to you. Well, maybe that's when you can go and watch the universe. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I just go on Netflix. That's exactly right. I'm a great parent. Great Great parenting. I love it. Scott's tips for parenting. (laughs) Just watch Netflix. Everything I love it. It sounds like it's working out pretty well. Um, Is there a fad that you participated in? This could be fashion, workout, anything cultural, whatever, that when you look back now, it makes you a little cringy. I mean, when I see pictures of myself in elementary school wearing like those bracelets that you would put on and then they would like shrink and like you'd keep them on for as long as you possibly could and then you'd cut it off eventually. What were those made out of? Rope. Rope. (laughs) Wait, where are you from again? You don't, I mean, come on. I'm not the, it's, it's like these white bracelets that oh, were sort of like yeah, braided. Were, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Of course. And when you put it on, I think it's not like yeah. just Boston area where I'm from. I know what you're talking about and now. And they shrink a little bit. You know yes. what I mean? Okay. Yes, I do. And you have to cut them off eventually. Right. But now I'm like, back, I'm like, that's kind of gross. Oh yeah, for sure. But everyone did it. Yes. It was a fad. It was a fad. And it's now cringeworthy. But at the time, you had to. If you didn't have that white rope bracelet, who even were you? I thought it was so cool. (laughs) Oh, man. I used to have big bangles. I'd wear like big, colorful jewelry. That was a big thing for me. But now I'm kind of like, why? We'll save them because bangles will come back. Bangles, I feel, always Mm. come back. Bangles, I think, are a little bit back right now. But I don't think it's the same like fuchsia, teal, <laughs> emerald green that Forever 21 was showing at the time. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe not. No. <laughs> okay, good to know. I'll definitely think of you next time I see a white rope bracelet, which honestly, who knows? Have you seen one in the last decade? I haven't seen one since I was in school. It's been a while. And you know what else like really went away pretty hmm. quickly, which is is the slap bracelets. I like, was those... actually going to say the slap bracelets. Yeah, they had a moment in the sun and then... They did. They were everywhere. And then you heard that like they hurt people. I was was just going to say, by the way, they hurt. I don't know if, did you ever have a slap bracelet or you just saw people at school? They hurt. First of all, if someone slapped you with a slap bracelet, I mean, if someone slaps you with anything, it's going to potentially hurt. That's true. That's true. But it was not expected because it was supposed to be fashion. It's like, you know, I threw it so hard at my wrist that it like (laughs) cut my wrist. I'm like, 
if you throw a gold bracelet at your wrist that yeah. hard, it's going to hurt as well, right? Did you ever see the infomercials for Harigami? Harigami. Oh, I feel like I did. Where so yes, Harigami takes it and like twists it. Was, it right. Yes, but it was basically just two slap bracelets stuck together. And then what you would do, because I owned it. For the record, the how I know is because I obviously we all purchased a Harigami at the time. So Harigami was two slap bracelets connected like a tongs. And then you put your hair in between the two slap bracelets and you rolled it. And then it snapped up into a perfect bun. That is wild. Yes. And I did that. I owned that. And I did it sincerely with no trace of irony. <laughs> that could be one of mine. <laughs> that is a good one. I wonder if they still sell them. That would be a fun thing to buy again. If a white rope bracelet presented itself to you today, would you buy it? Well, I probably would look and be fascinated and then think, am I going to wear that? No. Should I buy it? No. It would capture my intrigue for okay, a moment. Okay, sure. You'd check it out at the store maybe, but it probably wouldn't make it to the counter. Exactly. I get that. You know, we're growing and we're evolving. We're trying. The universe is constantly expanding. Exactly. (laughs) Full circle. Look at that. So Scott, what makes you laugh? What makes me laugh? No, I think that um, kids coming in. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, I'm in the middle of a podcast. (laughs) Okay. Give me one second. Ask me what makes me laugh. This is exactly. I love it. Go be a dad. I'll be right here. I'll be in 20 minutes. 20 minutes. Thank you. I love that. Um, I just love these Zoom run-ins. What else makes me laugh? I don't know. I mean, comedy. Yeah, same. Your videos. Oh my God. All kinds of unexpected (laughs) comedy. You know, you know, it's like the, the, another funny account that I like came across recently. Tell me. The best of next door. Oh my God. Like next door, the platform. Yes. But have you seen the, have you seen the, the, the Twitter account called best of next door? No, that sounds incredible though. It's not affiliated with next door. I'm sure that it's not. (laughs) (laughs) You'll figure out why quickly, but it's hilarious. I mean, just they, they capture things that people say, or, you know, people will like, post something being like, you know, I have extras of this. Does anyone want one? And it will just be like, it's the craziest stuff. But I, I have cracked up looking at that in the past. So it sounds like you like stuff that is sort of in the realm of real, relatable, specific. Yeah, I think so. And yeah, there's moments where you're like, wow, like people are so funny. Like Mm -hmm. someone really did this. That really happened. Totally. Are there any go-to movies or shows you watch or albums, comedy albums, stand-ups that you put on when you are like, I'd like to laugh. One laugh, please. Well, I think that Twitter accounts that I follow that are funny are like a great source of that. Totally. I, I, I love Twitter, as you can see by my multiple references to it. <laughs> it's an amazing platform. I'm a fan. Personally, I'm a fan. <laughs> I used to go out to like stand-up comedy sometimes in New York City. I mean, that, really? was, that was always fun. There were a few Cafe Wa in the village and a few other places that I always like to go to. Not a lot, but like whenever I would go, it would be a lot of fun. I miss stand-up so much. Yeah, that kind of stuff. I definitely miss. Totally. I miss doing it. I mean, I miss being on stage. This is the alternative. <laughs> we are on stage. <laughs> I'm sorry it's come to this. but <laughs> No, this is amazing. <laughs> you know, it's also funny that actually just occurred to me that, you know, you're creating evergreen content and someone might hear this podcast two years from now. Mm-hmm. And be like, wow, those people sound so sad. Like, you know, it must have been a pandemic podcast. Like everything is going to feel, you're going to know what came from the pandemic. 
I think that that is probably true for a lot of the stuff that's being created right now. And you, I believe if I scanned your Twitter properly, you seem like you're into music as a form of creativity. Is that right? You consume a lot of music? I do love music. And it's, you know, that's another thing that I miss in a big way in my life right now is just live music. Mm, yeah. Do you play? I, gosh, I used to... Uh, I have a little electric piano here, which is why I'm looking at it. But I used to play the piano a little bit, a little guitar, self-taught, but not 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 mm. well. Well, I mean, is it something that you ever thought about getting back into? Yeah. Yeah. I could imagine myself getting into kind of music production at some point, you know, get all the software and just start mm-hmm. to like put stuff together from a digital, in a digital way. I could do that. That, would be that could be really fun. Yeah. That could be really cool. I'd love to, I'd love to get good at music composition digitally. Mm-hmm. I think that'd be so much fun. And there's new platforms and new technologies out there. There's this company called Splice that has all this kind of clips you can put together. And, you know, the mm-hmm. next generation of music has so many like mix-ups and mashups. Yes. And so it's a platform that's conducive for that. So I think there's just a lot of new technology and content out there that people can use to, you know, make music in a more accessible way. I think it's a really cool uh, advent of tech that I'm, I wish I had more time to dig into. Totally. Something interesting about what you just said is that you said, I'd like to get good at making music, which is actually very different than just making music. When you start a new hobby or a new path or interest, are you immediately the type of person that's like, all right, I want to get good at this right away? Yeah. I think I, yeah, I just love to, uh, I love to, I like to learn. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, who doesn't, right? I mean, if we want to do our, uh, do a hobby, we want to, we want to kind of, it's an attempt to master to some degree that we all undergo. I'm not so like hard on myself or I have mm-hmm, to be the best mm-hmm. at something to enjoy it at all. In fact, I think that I think that you know, some people are those that like aspire to get from like 90 to 100 and everything in their lives. Hmm. And then there are others that say, hey, I'm like happy to do a lot of things at 80 or 90 if I can do mm-hmm. more things. I've always mm-hmm. been the latter. Yeah. I've never, I've never been a perfectionist. So, hmm. but I do love engaging in new things. Totally. I get that a lot. So you say you've never been a perfectionist. Quick question for you about personality types. Do you know your Myers-Briggs type and do you care? I am an INTJ. INTJ. Okay. So that's introverted intuition, thinking, judging. Yeah. Yes. What do you think uh, about that? Do you care Myers-Briggs? I care only in the sense that I have a very close friend who's a psychologist and he's obsessed with this stuff. Really? And he just always <gasps> loves to riff on the implications of me being an INTJ and yes. him being different and all these other friends of ours being, and he like has everyone pegged and I care only to that extent. That's very interesting though. Did you care about it at all before he explained that to you that he was really into it? Well, I liked, I cared about what I got out of it, which is mm-hmm. a sense of where I get my energy. And it's very true. I'm comfortable with people. I just get my energy from being alone. And you know, mm-hmm. that was like a really important realization for me that came from, to some extent, from Myers-Briggs because it, give it gives you like language for it. I, um, yeah, I totally agree. You know, even that. though you don't always buy into all of the implications for what it tells you, it still gives you like a rubric. Absolutely. You and I are a thousand percent on the same page. That's exactly why I like it. I'm ENFJ for the record. ENFJ? Uh-huh. So you can ask your friend about that. I'll have to (laughs) please report back. (laughs) That means you'd make a great podcast host. Yeah, I think that's I think that's what it says when you look it up. They're like, yeah, it's probably a podcaster. I don't know. Recommended (laughs) recommended careers. Yeah, when I got my twenty three and me back, it said podcaster. (laughs) (laughs) What about astrology? Do you know your astrological sign? I think I'm an Aries. I know that much. That's that's it. (laughs) 
I have no idea. What do we think about me asking this question to every single person and yet doing no research into astrology at all every single time? (laughs) Clearly, neither of us care about it is the answer to your question. (laughs) But that's what's interesting to me. I I don't know much about it, but what interests me is what other people believe in. So if you said to me, I wake up every day and I, I check my horoscope, that would be fascinating to me. But knowing that like Capricorns are type A, it's like, yeah, we get that. I know. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I just never, the answer is no. Just never, never dug. Never dug deep into what being an Aries means. Have you I ever also read a know that I'm, I'm in the cusp of not being an Aries because Aries okay. ends on the 19th and my birthday is on the 18th. So I may not really be an Aries, you know, like why of... should I even look at the horoscope? I'm on the line. Sure. 18th of what, April? April. Mm. Oh my God. I do know something about astrology. That was pretty Impressive. good. Good job, me. <laughs> Good. I feel more qualified to keep asking that question now that I know that one fact. What about meditation? Do you meditate? I've tried it a few times. I just never got into it. And thus we continue my long string of guests where not a single person has said yes. Sorry to disappoint. No, I'm not disappointed. It's truly fascinating to me. You said you tried it a couple times. It sounds like you ultimately decided it wasn't for you. Why is that? I don't, I don't, I didn't just like it. I just, it didn't, change my day that much. I don't Mm -hmm. know why. I just um, didn't make the priority list of things to continue. I probably didn't do it enough. I probably didn't do it right. Hmm. But (laughs) can you really like screw up meditation? I I mean, I guess I don't think so. I don't think you can. That's by looking at your phone, you're probably screwing up meditation. Yes, you definitely. That is one of the only things I know you can't do during meditation. But the, (laughs) the wonderful British guy who started Headspace. I don't know. Wonderful sounding gentleman. He has assured me a number of times that you are not doing, I'm not doing it wrong. That's what he says. Maybe he could tell you that. You're not doing this wrong. Everyone's way is right. He might be Australian. What do we, I can't remember. I'm not good at that accent. No. Yeah. Just remember that no matter (laughs) what, you're doing it right. You're not going to screw it up. You're not going to screw it up. No matter what. Just a couple more questions for you. Uh, do you believe in ghosts? I don't. Hard stop. No ghosts. I wish I had a better, you know, comment or explanation or experience that I could have cited. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some ghost stories in my family that my grandparents told me that were kind of crazy and freaked me out. But, but then they I didn't realized make you believe in ghosts. Yeah, as I got older, I realized my grandparents were a little nuts, and so I was <laughs> like, oh, you know, that story probably wasn't real. And then I kind of lost my lost my belief. Have you ever felt a presence or anything like that in your life? Like in a room? Not really. But now that you say it, I'm going to like start to feel it. So yeah, I'm sorry because that's really a creepy feeling. And it happens to me sometimes. I also don't believe in ghosts, but I sometimes freak myself out when I start You'll thinking like, about I feel ghosts. like I'm being watched. Yeah, a hundred percent, but only at night. It only ever happens at night. That's interesting. I'm not afraid of ghosts until I remember that they might exist. I like, if I'm not, if I'm just like going to sleep, having a normal night, no problem. And then for some reason, if I'm like ghosts, I'll be like immediately freaked out. I just think that if there were ghosts, there'd be a lot more crazy, unexplainable things that happen in this world. Mm. than there are so far, like most things are explainable. Okay. That's a really great point. That's my theory. What an insight. This episode is still brought to you by WorkLife, the first venture capital firm designed for a new era where work is more creative and anyone can start something, where life is more flexible and not tied to an office, where everyone is a triple threat. 
Discover the latest design tools and new ways to launch your own empire, whether it's a podcast, course, or video game. Worklife has backed tools for you, yes, you, to build and finance your business. Worklife has backed companies like Webflow, Rive for real-time animation, and Q for real-time feedback on video, audio, images, and more. Sign up for the Worklife newsletter for interviews with creators and updates on new tools for your work life at worklife.vc. Okay, well, Scott, we've come to a really exciting time in the non-technical podcast recording session, which is the lightning round. Are you ready? I'm ready. Yay. Okay, Scott, coffee or tea? Coffee. Always? Always. Hot or iced? Depends. Really? Okay, what about milks? I like black coffee in the morning, or I'll okay. have like oat milk or something like that later in the day. Perfect. And 10 out of 10 in my in my book, your coffee situation. <laughs> I didn't tell you you were getting graded on that answer, but it's a 10 out of 10 for me. iOS or Android? iOS. Always and forever? So far. Mm, same. Have you ever read a book twice? No. Never once? Never once. What about your own books? Definitely not. <laughs> Oh, I can't bear to read read that anymore. Can you imagine if you were like, oh, well, those, yeah, I've read those. I mean, eight obviously, or 10 times I, I obviously read those like hundreds of times, of so course, they'll never be read again. But me, yeah. <laughs> Do you have a pump up song? I don't have a pop up song, but I have a writing mix of music that I only oh. allow myself to listen to <gasps> when I'm writing, and so that music went unlistened to for like six years until I started writing wow. my second book. Wow! And I will now let myself listen to it when I'm writing you know, an article or anything else, yeah. but it's like only writing stuff. And it's a way to kind of incentivize me to write. I love that. And it actually is like the cognitive switch that we were talking about earlier, kind of reminds your brain it's writing time. Totally. Would you be willing to tell me just one song on there? Oh, I'll tell you an obscure song you may not have ever heard of, but you'll end up liking. So there's yes. a piano melody song by this woman named Carly Commando mm-hmm. called Every Day. And okay. it's basically the soundtrack that this guy, Noah Kalina, asked his girlfriend to make for him when he put this like YouTube video up. And it's an amazing, okay. like beautiful song for writing. Wow. I can't wait to check that out because I'm always on the lookout for good writing music. There you go. Okay. My last question for you is what would you title your memoir? I would title it. Oh, gosh. Okay. How about this? Great opportunities don't have great opportunity in the subject line. Okay. (laughs) Love that. And is that something that's occurred to you before? It's so true, but I feel like everything in my life, you know, has kind of, I mean, when I told people I was trying to start a company to help organize the creative world, people are like, good luck with that. Yeah. When it was a portfolio site for creatives, it was like, dude, I have my space and I have DeviantArt. Like, why would I need that? You know, and then every job I've had, there have been doubters and people are like, well, why would you do that? And I just believe that great opportunities are never readily apparent as such, or otherwise they would have been taken already. So, and I just think that that follows, you know, many parts of my life and decisions that I've made. Perfect. And the subject line email tie-in is perfect for someone that's had so much of their career doing internet stuff. So I love that. There you go. Scott, thank you so much you, for joining Alexis. me today. Like this was this awesome. Was, I, um, this was so fun. I was, you know, uh, It was cool to be asked to be a guest on this podcast and I'm excited for you. And thanks for having me. Oh my gosh. Truly the pleasure was all mine. It really means a lot to me that you would join me as one of my first guests. I can only imagine how much people who follow me must like you and they're going to be so stoked. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Thanks again for having me. 
If you want to hear more from Scott Belsky, find him on Twitter at Scott Belsky, where you can also find this show at Non-Technical Pod and me at Yay Alexis Gay. And woo, it's review time. This review is from CMS Justin. Five stars. He says, fantastic. This made me a 10X engineer in life. Wow, Justin, sounds like you're on track for some hockey stick growth. And if you want to hear your review on the next episode, go ahead and toss a little five-star review on iTunes. Give me a little corpse speak, some tech lingo, and you might hear it on the pod. Thanks so much. And I'll talk to you soon.